Let's read our passage. Romans 8, 1 through 5. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. It's true and it's given to us because He loves us. And tonight, we're going to dig into this word. To Romans, we've been in Romans for a while now. Um, You know, we'll talk a little bit more about the context of this passage in Romans for now, I just want to let you know, uh, I realize I should have introduced myself a second ago. I'm Willis. If I haven't met you yet, uh, I see a few new faces tonight, so welcome. I'm the campus minister. Um, I love lots of things. I love being in the gym and climbing and running uh, and barbecue. But the one thing I really want you to know about me is that I'm not a good person. But Jesus loves me, and he loves you, and that changes everything. And so we're going to dig into that tonight. Uh, my son James. So James is in this stage. He's two years old. James is in this stage where he just started becoming aware of the like reality of that he could be wrong or he could be perceived as wrong or having done something wrong, which is funny because he does stuff that's wrong all the time. But like he's just now kind of like catching up to that fact. And um, but he's very irrational about it. And um, so this one time, I think two mornings ago. Um, he likes to have a banana first thing in the morning before he's old me he wants a banana so first thing after he gets up he's like daddy want a banana so I get him a banana he eats the banana he loves the banana 10 seconds later dad can I have a banana I'm like James I just got you a banana he's like no daddy you didn't I was like no James I, I, I got you a banana remember like we cut it up with the knife and you ate it he's like no daddy you didn't I was like James you can't have another banana because you already had a banana he's like no dad I, you did it he gets so angry about this. And I realized that it really wasn't about the banana. Honestly, don't know if you remembered about the banana or not. But it really wasn't about the banana. It was about being wrong, you know? Because I had seen this pattern play out with him. And at a certain point, you know, it wasn't about the banana. And what I'm saying this story for is for me also, I realize in my life, uh, I hate being wrong. I hate it. And we're going to talk about that tonight, like this reality of the possibility we see all around us in every interaction, everywhere we go, every classroom you walk into at WNL, the possibility of being wrong and how much we hate that. The possibility that someone would judge you as not quite right, not quite enough, not quite the way you want to be judged, and we hate that. So where we're going in Romans eight fifteen, we fear condemnation for those in Christ there is none. So what? We fear condemnation for those in Christ there is none. So what? Let's pray. Father, this is one of the the best passages in the Bible. This whole chapter, Romans 8, is so heavy-hitting, so good, so rich. It's intimidating for me to preach it. I'm not a good preacher, um, but your word is so good, Jesus. 
And so we ask, I ask that you would use my humble words by your Holy Spirit to convict us of the truth of these words, to show us something, to show us yourself in a way that we've never seen you before, to show us your gospel as we've never understood it before. We ask that you would have us walking out of here tonight changed by your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, first point, we fear condemnation. We fear condemnation. So, uh, last week in New York, law student named Rhina Workman, you may have seen this on your news feed, she used her platform as the president of the Student Bar Association of NYU, pretty big platform, to weigh in on the Israel-Palestine conflict in a public letter, to kind of give her opinion on that. Public letter, the letter quickly went viral, drew widespread condemnation. People actually didn't like what she had to say about that. The student has since lost her job offer at a prestigious law firm, and she's in the process of being removed from her leadership role in the Student Bar Association. One sentence in one letter cost Rhina a job, and who knows how much else in the days to come, right? It's still kind of playing out for her in her life. To be canceled is a very real possibility that all of us face, really. <laughs> if you have a presence in the world, especially in the online world, you could be canceled. Just kind of takes saying the wrong thing once. No matter what your views, your political allegiances, whether you agree with what Rhina said or not, it doesn't really matter. Somebody is going to find fault with something you say, and it could have drastic consequences that someone else that you've never even met doesn't like what you had to say. Real-life consequences in your world. So that's true, but something similar happens just like, like the normal relationships we have with people every day. It's less dramatic, but it's like not being canceled, it's like being called out. Okay, so how do you feel when a professor corrects you in class? You speak up with something you think is kind of smart, and they're like, oh, actually, not quite right. How do you feel about that? When you're cut, yeah, we're losing the music here. Thank you. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh, it's all going, people. I'm just going to let the band pick it up when they come, guys. I don't, I don't know what else to do. Thanks, Louie. Louie, give it up for Louie. All right. Man of the hour. Man of the hour. Okay. Yeah, so how do you feel about these things? Let's say your practice and your coach says, hey, listen, man, I can tell you're not giving full effort. I can tell you're not. I need you to, like, actually get, get with the program, give full effort. We don't like that. How do you respond when someone lies about you? How do you respond when you don't get a bid from the sorority you wanted? When these things happen, they hit us pretty hard. They hit us pretty deep. We feel guilty, angry, defensive, maybe crushed. Maybe we jump into action to fix it, you know, like fix the problem. Or we go on the offensive to shift blame elsewhere. We do something because we fear condemnation. The thing is, even if you think you're pretty good, even if you're like, condemnation is honestly not something I'm worried about because I've kind of got my life together. The thing about that is, it's not just enough to be good. We have to have other people also think and externally vocalize that we're good. We need that validation, right? That feedback loop. Whether it's in the classroom, on the field, in your friend groups, we want people to think we're good, to affirm it out loud, to validate our goodness with their opinion. And right along with that, Maybe some of you don't really relate to what I just said. But like, if you're the person, and this is a pretty polished room, which is great. You guys are pretty polished, pretty high achieving, pretty successful, destined for great things. I love that about you. 
But I wonder, and I'm talking to myself here too, how much of our polish and excellence and performance and high achievement is stemming not only from a desire to you know, do our best, which is good, but also this fear that we might be found wanting. The fear that anyone might find fault with us and condemn us or cancel us or maybe just simply grow bored with us. Perhaps the worst condemnation of all might be the description, unremarkable, average. We fear condemnation. Over the last few weeks, the first several chapters of Romans, some of y'all probably gotten tired of hearing like the bad news of Romans. <laughs> Romans hits pretty hard, just laying on layer after layer of like, hey guys, on your own, you're not enough. On your own, you're not worthy. On your own, you stand condemned. Whether it's by your own rules that you live by or by God's rules, either way, they both condemn us. We fail to measure up. Now that's been, you know, depressing, frustrating, hard for you to hear. Uh, remember, God tells us the bad news basically for tonight so that we can hear the good news as good news, so we can be prepared like the cancer patient who hears the verdict of cancer so that the surgeon can heal them. The very good news we hear in Romans 8 verse 1, those who are in Christ will never be condemned by God. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So even though on your own you stand condemned, God doesn't leave you on your own. Right? In Christ, he comes to you. He comes to us. He came to us to save us by spiritually relocating us in himself. That we would be with him. Like a dying branch given new life by being transplanted onto a living tree. And there, in Christ, in that new location... There is now no condemnation. That's what it says. That's like saying, there's no condemnation anymore. Now no condemnation. No longer. For who? For those who are in Christ. Note what it doesn't say. Notice what it does not say. It doesn't say, there's no condemnation for those who grew up in church and have been baptized. It doesn't say that. There's no condemnation for those who stop partying and having sex before marriage. It doesn't say that either. There's no condemnation for those who are super spiritual and read their Bible a lot and pray a lot and feel close to Jesus when they sing worship songs. It doesn't say that. It says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And listen, guys, this is sad, but it's true. We don't have this kind of promise anywhere else in our lives. There's condemnation in college. You can fail out of it. There's condemnation in your fraternity or your sorority. Right? You can fail out of it. Just stop paying your dues, break enough rules, you'll be out. There's condemnation in your friend group. If you treat them bad enough for long enough, you will be out. You'll fail out. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, God draws broken people like me, like you, into an embrace so close it's like you become a part of him. And he can't, he can't condemn himself. There's three beautiful aspects to this no condemnation we see in our passages. So three many sub-points here. Three aspects of no condemnation in our passage. There's a judicial aspect, a relational aspect, and a practical aspect. So judicial. Right now, in Minnesota, there's this new law that just went into effect. And it has to do with something called the Pardons Board of Minnesota. Used to be these three people on the Pardons Board, you had to get a unanimous decision to have your crime wiped out. 
pardoned. Now it's just two, majority. So like now more than ever, there's people showing up every day of the week in front of this pardons board while it's in session, and they get 10 minutes. <laughs> you imagine the drama? They get 10 minutes to argue that this felony or major crime that they did in the past, that you know years ago that there's been restitution, there's been some sort of you know grieving that they're a changed person, they get to argue that in 10 minutes. And for a lot of them, they walk out of there after 10 minutes pardoned. Felony wiped out. Off their record, they no longer have to say when they're applying for a job that I'm a felon. Can you imagine that? As I was thinking about this, it kind of struck me. I do something similar, like James with the banana. I hate to be wrong. I've spent a lot of my life, guys, like real talk. I've spent a lot of my life, whether in ministry, professionally, before ministry as an outdoor guide in my family with my friends, I've spent a lot of my life trying to live in such a way that I would be impressive, respected, like above criticism. And that's kind of been like my main agenda for a lot of my life. And I think that y'all like me. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you want to be seen as smart or beautiful or have the right friends. I don't know, but we're all trying for that thing. Every authority figure is someone we have to impress. Anyone better anything than us is a threat. Every failure is a black mark so dark we'll go to great lengths to hide it, to clean it, to atone for it. And we can do this for a whole lifetime. Against that backdrop, 10 minutes sounds pretty good, right? Like what if it just took 10 minutes to like get that kind of taken care of? If three people in suits could say pardoned and it lifts the weight of law breaking and falling short, sets a person free from that forever, how much more impactful is it when the one granting pardon is God? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the law of the spirit of life that this talks about is simply this. Jesus Christ fulfills all the requirements of God's law, every single one, and the Holy Spirit gives all his righteousness to you, puts it on you like a heart transplant. In the moment that he gives you faith and repentance, boom, all the righteousness of Jesus. So you don't have to spend 10 minutes saying that you're sorry and requesting pardon. You don't have to spend a lifetime trying to be good enough, above reproach. Jesus made you perfectly righteous in his death and resurrection. And all that is applied to you in a moment, the moment the Holy Spirit unites you with Jesus Christ in conversion. If the no condemnation of God is ours, we can afford to be a little bit less impressive, to admit our mistakes a little bit quicker, to be a little more humble, to ask for help, and more gracious with others. We can afford to be a little messier. There's a relational aspect to no condemnation, too. Remember, the passage starts out saying there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Like we already said, this is not geographical language, it's family language. To have faith and repent is to be adopted, brought into the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit to God's family, given like God's spiritual DNA. That's what it means to be a Christian. So we miss something if all we say, we, a lot of times we say this to describe the gospel, we say, Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me from my sins and give me forgiveness with God, peace with God. All that's true, but it's not the whole truth. Why did Jesus do that? Because he loves us. He loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to sit down at the table with you like family. 
God wants to make you a part of his family. He wanted that so much that he sent his own family to get you. By sending, this from the passage, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And we have a hard time with this, this idea of God sending his own son. It's like, what's going on with that? It seems a little bit cruel. Just think about this, though. Every family that adopts pays a price. Every family that fosters children pays a price. Every family that has another baby pays a price. Relational, financial, emotional, other costs. It's just we don't talk about the costs that much because it's so worth it. The person that is added to the family is so worth it. They're not even thinking about the money or the emotional strain or whatever else it is. Hear this. Jesus considers you worthy of the price he paid to get you. His life. Why are you worth it to him? Is it because you're very impressive, frankly, to the God of the universe? And he's like, wow, they are ready for rapid advancement in the kingdom of God. Management potential for sure. No. It's because God is love. He loves people. That's who he is. He finds us wonderful because he is wonderful. So how will it change our heart posture towards the places that we want to belong? You know, the places in our lives, the circles in our lives that we really want to belong to if we feel more and more at home with God, like we really belong with Him, more and more a part of His family. Okay, final aspect of no condemnation. There's a practical aspect. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So set free usually means like the freedom, the ability to do stuff that you want to do. So what can we do as people that have been set free? It says, verse 4, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is a very dramatic reversal, actually. Like maybe you thought that, you know, you were kind of trying your best to do the good thing, and then God comes and gives you a little boost. But in the biblical anthropology, actually, we start out dead in our sins. If you've ever wanted to follow God, it's because he put that desire in you. That was him doing that. In the biblical anthropology, without God, we're like zombies, slaving away for the devil's agenda, but dead to true love, true freedom, true joy, our true purpose, until the Holy Spirit comes and applies the life of Jesus Christ to us and makes us alive. And now that we're alive, we can live with this whole new agenda, this whole new purpose, new actions, new work, new words to say, new places to go, new people to meet and befriend at WNL. Walk according to the Spirit doesn't just mean walk. It means all your activity, everything you do and think according to the Holy Spirit. His agenda, His values, His plan. I love the lyrics from this song by John Mark McMillan. He actually just released like a new version of it today, which is kind of cool. It's called Death in Reverse. Who's heard? John Mark McMillan. We know that guy. A few people. You guys got to check out John Mark McMillan on Spotify. This song is called Death in Reverse. A few lyrics here. Talking about Jesus. But you raise me like a baby, like a fiery phoenix bird. Oh, and you lift me up like Lazarus. You love me like death in reverse. You unearth me like a vein of gold with the powers that drive up the flowers from the fold. You cast me uncursed, unearth my body and my soul like fire from my ashes, like fire from my coals. This is God's story for you guys. Hear this. I don't know what story you walked in here with tonight. You know, it was like, what, 100 people here? 100 different stories? I don't know how your story feels to you. 
Do you see ashes in your story? Do you feel cursed? I've felt cursed at times. Have you felt cursed in your life? Do you feel buried beneath the weight of your failures and your mistakes and the things you hate about yourself? No condemnation means being set free, unearthed, like a vein of gold. When God sees you, he doesn't see the stuff that we see about ourselves, all the mistakes, all the stuff we don't like. He sees a vein, a mother load of gold, of God-given beauty. He put it in you. He sees it. He sees what you'll become by the time he's completed you. He sees the true reality of your eternal person. Even when you can't see it, he sees it. So take heart, you guys. If you feel discouraged tonight, take heart. Like, hear this. Hear that the God of the universe who sees truly and eternally the way he sees you, you're not defined by any of the things that you define yourself by. You're defined by the God who knows all of that stuff and yet loves you like crazy. Anyways. So what? What do we do with this? A couple things here. How do you think change happens? How do you think you change? How do you think like the things that you want to see happen in your life, how do they happen? What's your game plan? This passage is telling us that behavior modification is a completely inadequate approach to the Christian life. Behavior modification, like trying harder, figuring out a special way to do things. How can, I, how can I pray better, read my Bible better? How can I figure out how to stop doing this sin and like do my relationships? How can I figure out how to do stuff different? This is saying that's woefully inadequate. That's not what the Christian life is about, actually. It's great for lifting weights. It's great for getting better grades. Behavior modification, so good for getting better grades. Great for making money, but it's just no good for following Jesus. If your goal is to walk the path of the Savior, follow His footsteps, enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness, and morph into who He's making you to be, bootstrapping is walking backwards. We've got to learn a different way of life. The spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Things of the flesh, behavior modification, things of the Spirit, something else. Would it make sense for the Holy Spirit to do what you could never do? Set you free from the law of sin and death. And then just go hands off and expect you to kind of handle it from there, go down your own. No, it makes no sense. It's not what the Bible says. A picture for what does happen. Uh, okay. <clears throat> I like the military analogies. Ladies, if you don't like it, you might like it, and that's great. Guys, you're probably going to like this more. That's okay. In the war in Iraq, in the battle for Ramadi, this one city, the American military discovered a new way to wage war against these terrorists who had infiltrated Iraq. They weren't even Iraqis. They were people from other countries that had come in to do battle against the Iraqis and against Americans. And in the battle for Ramadi, they came upon a new four-step plan for doing battle against them. Here it is. Seize, clear, hold, build. Okay, what that means, I was listening to Jocko Willink talk about this on Joe Rogan's podcast. Anybody with me? Joe Rogan? Okay, a few of us. Thank you. It's good stuff. Uh, here's what this means. Seize, clear, hold, and build. They would go into a building. They would seize it. They would clear it of any enemies. They would hold on to it long enough for like military bulldozers and construction equipment to roll in and actually build it into a miniature fortress from which they could conduct operations to free the next house and the next house and gradually take over Ramadi, which they did, making it safer than a lot of American cities after a year and a half there. 
for Iraqis, for Americans. It worked. To become a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit kick in the door of your life. Not to condemn, to claim, to claim you. He takes over the compound of your life. He starts rooting out sin. He starts building you into an outpost of the kingdom of heaven because he loves you and he loves your neighbor. And he's working to set this whole world free from sin and death. This is just, can we just look at this for a second and say, this is such a beautiful picture of life. Is there any other narrative out there, any other religion, any other political scheme that offers a more beautiful picture of life than this? The architect of who you're becoming is the creator of galaxies. Cathedrals pale in comparison. The composer of the symphony of your life is the God who taught Beethoven and Shostakovich and, yes, Taylor Swift how to do what they do. The writer of the epic saga of our world's history has written you into that story and given you a real role, not an extra, not a prop, a real role in the unfolding drama of the redemption of all things. The story he's writing makes Les Miserables, Tale of Two Cities, Harry Potter, your favorite book, look like a cheap dime novel. It's a better story, guys, and you're in it. This God wants you in his kingdom. He sent Christ to win you, and in Christ there's now no condemnation anymore for you. If you're in Christ, you're in. So let's get really practical. How does this apply to the very real realities of your life now at WNL? Let's say you did something wrong. You're feeling guilty. You're afraid you might be found out, but you haven't been found out yet. What do you do? How about this? Full, humble admission and apology with no excuses before you're found out in person, directly to the person that you wronged. How crazy would that be, right? Like, actually crazy. We don't do that. We would love to kind of like halfway confess with a little bit of an apology and excuse, but just like full open admission of guilt. That's crazy. That'll blow people's minds if we do that. They may not forgive you. That's their right. They might talk about their friends to you. That's their right. It's a terrifying thing to do, but in Christ, you can handle it. Because Jesus already paid for that sin. There's no condemnation left for you with him. Let's say something innocent you said online gets misunderstood, blown out of proportion. Worst case scenario, it goes so viral, even your aunt hears about it on Facebook. People are texting you like, dude, what did you say? What do you do? First, you remember that whatever this thing costs you, is worth less than the surpassing joy of pleasing the king who will never condemn you in the way that you respond. What if this horrible thing happens specifically to give you a chance to respond with humility and love, being slow to speak, quick to forgive, and quick to run to Jesus with your pain? He knows what it's like to have people take what he said out of context. He knows what it's like to have people lie about him. That happened a lot with Jesus. Pray, pause, take root again the love of your Savior, and then decide what to do. Okay, first years. Let's say, I know not, not everybody goes Greek. Some of you are going to be independent. That's awesome. For those of you who are planning on going Greek, let's say you're not invited to become a part of the organization that you wanted to become a part of. That's hard. What do you do? I think what it looks, part of what it looks like to set your mind on the things of the Spirit is remembering that what's happening in and around and under the rush process, the pledge ship process, the bid process, is the Holy Spirit putting you where He wants you, where He wants you, which may or may not be where you want it to be. 
Setting your mind on him means you take all the emotions you have about that to him. Honestly, to be real. And then you ask God, okay, so who do you want me to be with? Is it in an organization? Is it out of an organization? Is it with the friends of my hall? Is it with, where is it, Jesus, that you want me to be? And would you, Jesus, give me the heart to love them? Even if I don't feel like it right now. Answering a prayer like that is easy for the God who works all things for the good of his children, who he'll never condemn. Let's pray. Father God, Romans 8, no condemnation. Jesus, we desperately long for this in our lives. We pray that you would give us a longing to be right with you and a delight, just a delight that overflows into all of our life, that you've made us right with you. There's no condemnation left for us, not with you. I pray, Lord, that you would make this group of people, make me, all of us, people who can apologize fully, quickly, honestly, people who can respond graciously, people who can experience adversity knowing that in you we're just secure so we can move boldly forward into this world. Help us to love you like you love us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.